turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. President Biden promises additional support to Ukraine in a speech in Poland. People say, oh my God, it'll escalate. We can't beat Ukraine. How's it going to escalate? Constitutional lawyer Jonathan Emore joins the Daybreak Insider podcast to discuss why the problems facing America are making him run for the U.S. Senate. The Democrat Party is uh, so far left today that it has endorsed essentially a Marxist platform. Household debt reaches its highest level since 2008. Credit cards up $61 billion, the largest quarterly increase in the history of the survey. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Mike Scott. On Tuesday, while in Poland, President Biden announced another round of military aid for the embattled country of Ukraine as the war nears its one-year anniversary. Biden vowed that the U.S. and its allies would not waver in support of Ukraine and warned of hard days ahead. The aid package, the 32nd such installment, brings U.S. military aid commitments to nearly $30 billion since Moscow invaded Ukraine last February. Meanwhile, Russian President Vladimir Putin says that Russia would be suspending its nuclear arms treaty with the U.S. and threaten to resume testing of nuclear weapons. He says we aren't fighting the Ukrainian people. Ukraine has become hostage of the Kyiv regime and its Western masters. Western elites are not trying to conceal their goals to inflict a strategic defeat to Russia. They intend to transform the local conflict into a global confrontation. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis tells the Salem Radio Network that he's not surprised that Putin would lash out at the U.S. and Western Europe during his speech. Well, it's fairly typical of Putin to blame others for uh, his own uh, mischievousness, uh, blaming, of course, the West, uh, because it's he used the words uh, limitless power is what they seek, and therefore he said the elite of the West uh, provoked the uh, Ukraine war. McGinnis explains that because of Putin's decision to suspend Russia's participation in the START Treaty, the U.S. no longer has a nuclear framework with Russia. He didn't revoke uh, Russia's participation in the treaty, just that uh, he's not going to allow inspections. And, you know, they're, they're going to, uh, at this point, uh, unless there's renegotiation, uh, let it die on the vine eventually. McGinnis says a lot of what Putin said was disturbing. He is obviously painting a, a picture that out to destroy Russia, uh, that you know, they are going to arm Ukraine to destroy Russia. The, the West provoked the war uh, in Ukraine. 
McGinnis says that in addition to Putin's address, there's been a related development in the Russia-Ukraine war. China is considering uh, helping Russia with kinetic uh, materials, basically weapons, ammunition and the like, for the first time uh, since the beginning of the Ukraine war. So none of this is good news. And it's very it's more than just saber rattling. It's uh, it's really upping the ante. James Carafano, a leading expert in foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation, also joined the Salem Radio Network and says that while Putin's rhetoric is concerning, the Russian military has been degraded in their fight with Ukraine. Regardless of what anybody thinks about Ukraine, good, bad, indifferent, don't spend money, yeah. spend money, whatever, we are where we are. There are no do-overs. The calendar is. The reality is, is, and this is the thing I want to wrap our heads around. One is, the Russian conventional military has now been degraded to a point where Putin really can't invade anybody. I kind of, when people say, oh my God, he'll escalate. It can't be Ukraine. How's he going to escalate? And, um, and he, I, so, first of all, I think that means we're going to need less U.S. military presence in Europe in the future than we, than we have argued, than we thought we would need. That's Good news for us, we're going to save money in the long run on that. Carafano highlights that many European nations standing up to Vladimir Putin have center-right governments and share many conservative values. The other thing is, is, and this is the thing nobody's really talking about, look at the governments that are standing up to Putin. They're all in Eastern and Southern and Central Europe. They're conservative center-right governments. They believe in burden sharing. They've all increased their defense spending. Some of them actually, as a percentage of GDP, actually spend now more than we do. They, by, by proportionally, they can't do as much as we can, but proportionally, they're giving more aid to Ukraine than, than we are. They're anti-Putin. They're anti-China. They're pro-American. Um, they want a stronger NATO. They want to do more to support a stronger NATO. They believe in family values. They believe in parental education, you know, parentally guided education. They believe in uh, religious liberty, individual rights, mm. lower taxes, and stupid woke stuff. Now, who does that sound like? Sounds like Joe Piscopo. Yeah. So when we said we walk away, when we said we walk away from Europe, dude, you're walking away from the people who believe in exactly the same things you do. Carafano goes on to say that Russia is having a problem right now making money. I think for you, we just had an example because you know this. The number one way Russia makes money is oil and gas exports. The number two they make money is arms exports. Well, that, there's a big problem there. First of all, nobody wants to buy their crap anymore because they saw how bad it performs. But the other thing is, is Putin is going to be struggling to rebuild his own military. And remember, he doesn't have access to this, all this stuff, chips and everything else in the foreign world to to do that. Which is not a case Serbia which for years actually still bought Russian stuff. They just announced they're going to stop. They're getting rid of the Soviet MiGs. Both the U.S. and Russia have a combined total of more than 13,000 warheads, which makes up roughly 90% of the world's nuclear arsenal, according to data provided by the Arms Control Association. Jonathan Emord, a constitutional attorney, author, and candidate for U.S. Senate, says in a piece written for townhall.com that Virginia Senator Tim Kaine is, in his opinion, 
endangering America with his far-left policies that are lockstep with the Biden administration. This is what Emord calls the caning of America. Emord joined the Daybreak Insider podcast and explains what he means and why the troubles facing America prompted him to run for U.S. Senate. Tim Kaine is uh, a very far-left individual who has variously masqueraded as a moderate to his own constituency, but um, the truth is, you know, borne out by his voting record and by his stance on many issues and his support for candidates that are extremely far left. Um, so the caning of America is really a uh, euphemism for the destruction of America, which is what he is essentially advocating when you have when you look at every uh, trillion dollar bill that you come into contact with and you vote in favor of it, you obviously have no regard for the inflationary effects on people and the destructive effects that have on people's lives that has on people's lives. And then if you take a look at his position on the border, it's to do nothing in uh, in in derogation of the directions of Mayorkas and Biden. He fully endorses Mayorkas, actually. So he has no interest in actually protecting his own constituents from fentanyl overdose. So all, all told, um, you have someone who is a proud defender of the far left and is a individual who is out of touch with his own constituents and has taken actions which result in harm to his own constituents, to the economy, to the nation, at large. Emor tells us that, unfortunately, the policies of the Democrats have become too far left and reminds us that it was the Clinton-Kane campaign that facilitated the Steele dossier. Sadly, the Democrat Party is uh, so far left today that it, it has endorsed essentially a Marxist platform. You have the President of the United States acting without regard to the constitutional limits on presidential power invading the province of the Congress and issuing executive orders that are then subsequently held unconstitutional by the court. Um, you have a president who is not functioning as commander-in-chief, who is uh, leaving the southern border open and the northern border open as well. There's been a massive increase in the number of illegals coming across the northern border. No defense of the nation, uh, no respect for the loss of, of life and liberty and and property by citizens of this country to those who are invading, as well as to uh, Soros-backed prosecutors. Uh, for example, Tim Kaine is a proud recipient of funds from Soros over the years, and it was the Clinton-Kaine campaign that uh, brought us the Steele dossier. People forget it's not just Hillary Clinton who's responsible for that, it's also Tim Kaine. It was the Clinton-Kaine campaign that paid for that Steele dossier and enabled it to be used uh, by the FBI um, improperly, it being a fraudulent document known to be fraudulent, to have been paid for political purposes by Hillary, and nonetheless, it uh, it was used um, to deceive the five courts and cost the American taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars overall. Emord lays out what he believes are the biggest issues facing Americans today. The most important thing for Americans, I believe, today is parental rights, rights over their child's 
education and upbringing. And to have um, government not acting against child abuse is one of the greatest things that offends people, rightly so, that generations of Americans are being led to believe that their own country is not worth living in, that they ought to have an, a negative view of their own nation. If generations of children are taught to believe that America is systemically racist and that children of color will never succeed in America because of that systemic racism and that white children are destined to oppress black children because of the virtue, the, the, that, the mere fact that they have uh, a white pigment, that leads to children hating each other, hating themselves, hating, hating uh, their parents, hating every institution in society, and wanting to destroy it. No one who believes those things would defend America. No one who believes those things would actively work in a society to try to make it better. They would try to destroy it, and that's the aim. Emord explains how he feels the Biden administration is also failing the American people by not securing the southern border and cracking down on fossil fuels. Obviously, the borders are an enormous issue, and the failure of the commander-in-chief to defend the United States against an invasion and to honor the guarantee clause, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution, which requires the federal government to guard the states against invasion. And uh, then a third issue, of course, is his competence. He's not mentally fit to be president of the United States. And then the fourth thing is the, the utter destruction of our economy, the ravaging of it, by causing, uh, instead of having $2 a gallon gas, having approaching $4 a gallon gas because of his commitment to completely obliterate fossil fuels. Emord goes on to say that he believes the current administration is one of the most corrupt in our country's history. There is last uh, the corruption of the administration. There's been no more corrupt president of the United States than Joe Biden. And this has been protected by the Democrats. And the collusion between the White House and, and uh, big tech and uh, the media to censor information, not only critical of the vaccines, but also information that would uh, reveal uh, the full extent of the influence peddling scheme that Biden has used to, to feather his own nest and his son has used to feather his nest and James Biden has used as well. The declared candidate goes on to explain what he'll do to fix some of the issues facing Americans. I would be uh, the first... A candidate in Virginia history, really, who defends health freedom, who would eliminate the uh, mandates, um, who would introduce legislation on the first day in office, my first day in office, to uh, prohibit the transitioning kids aiding, uh, causing, or facilitating uh, the transitioning of anyone under the age of 18 would be a federal felony nationwide to arrest that awful child abuse that's going on, ruination of, of kids, um, irreversible damage taking place. And then I would also uh, introduce legislation to enforce the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause by uh, cutting off all funding to schools in this country that engage in uh, the stigmatization and racial um, segregation of children in the schools. 
I would expand the criminal recall laws to enable us to tackle the problem of Soros using as many tentacles that he has obstructing justice. What we have is a nationwide organized criminal operation that is designed to obstruct justice by causing prosecutors to uh, discontinue law enforcement. Over 76 prosecutors in the United States are individuals who have run on an anti-incarceration agenda and have been backed almost exclusively by George Soros's money. Uh, this has to come to an end. The Daybreak Insider Podcast would like to thank Jonathan Emord for joining us. If you would like to read Mr. Emord's piece on the caning of America, head over to townhall.com. To know more about Mr. Emord, follow him on Twitter at jemord1776 or visit his website at emord4va.com. Two Supreme Court cases are being heard that could reshape how online platforms like Google, YouTube, Twitter, and other companies handle speech and content moderation. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker has more on this developing story. In the case heard Tuesday, the Supreme Court seemed unlikely to side with the family of a student killed in a terror attack that wants to sue YouTube for helping spread ISIS videos. Justices like Elena Kagan seemed concerned about upending the Internet and their interpretation of Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Why is it that the tech industry gets a pass? A little bit unclear. On the other hand, I mean, we're a court. We really don't know about these things. You know, these are not like the nine greatest experts on the Internet. Kagan says Congress, not the court, should make changes. The case Wednesday involves another terrorist attack and prompted a lawsuit against Twitter, Facebook, and Google. I'm Julie Walker. According to a new analysis by WalletHub, U.S. household debt has risen to its highest level in 20 years. The report shows that household debt increased to $17 trillion, a jump by $320 billion in the final three months of 2022. The average household typically owed more than $142,000 by the end of the year. The data comes just a few days after the new data from the New York Federal Reserve revealed that in the last three months of 2022, credit card balances increased by $61 billion to $986 billion, smashing the previous high of $927 billion recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic began. Steve Leesman of MSNBC says that in addition to households relying on debt, there is another data point that is just as concerning. Yeah, the New York Fed in its fourth quarter household debt and credit report reporting that debt surged by $394 billion in the fourth quarter. That is the largest increase in two decades. Breaking it down, mortgages up a strong $254 billion. Credit cards up $61 billion, the largest quarterly increase in the history of the survey going back to 1999. Auto loans up and student loans as well. Now, as far as delinquencies, they did tick up for credit cards, auto loans, and mortgages. But the rate or the level remains at or below the pre-pandemic level. 
trouble is the transition into them. There have been some worrying increases in the, to the tr- transition of delinquency rates. So a blog by the New York Fed that accompanied this report says credit card borrowers are missing their payments and transitioning to 90-plus day delinquency at a rate higher than they had before the pandemic. Guys, all we can do is watch this. We don't know how much stress there is, but certainly there is some increasing reliance by households on debt. Leesman goes on to describe what he feels Americans need to keep an eye on. You also have this idea that if people believe inflation is temporary, they could use credit to what they call smooth out their spending and their lifestyle over time. Um, it gets into trouble if people lose their jobs, lose their ability to pay those uh, balances as well. That's where you get into trouble. Your delinquencies have really not become worrisome or recessionary levels yet. The hmm. thing to watch, the way I compare it, John, is think about a lake, which, okay, the water level of the lake is below where it was the pandemic. That's the total debt level. The flow into the lake is higher than it was before. So we have to watch this 90-plus delinquency transition rate. And uh, the um, New York Fed in the blog, John, pointing out that it's especially difficult or high among younger borrowers. The latest data marks a major reversal from just two years ago when households were rapidly paying off credit card debt with the stimulus payments that they received during the pandemic. In more economic news, the nation's housing slump is deepening. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason has more on this story. Down for the 12th straight month, used home sales dropped to the slowest pace in more than a dozen years in January. The National Association of Realtors reports sales fell to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 4 million properties last month, the slowest annual pace since October of 2010. Soaring mortgage rates, fewer properties on the market, and years of soaring home prices combined to put home ownership out of the reach of a growing number of Americans. Rich Thomason reporting. Nine out of ten companies which took part in the world's biggest trial of a four-day work week are not going back to five days. Daybreak Insider's Ed Donahue isn't taking time off to give us this story that may one day impact your work week. Britain's Royal Society of Biology took part in the trial. It involves longer work days. Employee Tessa Gibson loves the four-day work week. Weekends can be quite hectic, the two-day weekend, uh, so it's been quite nice to have that extra day. But Jay Richards, co-founder of London's Imogen Insights, says four days is rushing it. He's tweaking the traditional work schedule. We do a five-day week, but we work 10 till 4. So we shorten the days. Um, And that means that the employees get to have that work-life harmony, but they're not actually shortening their week. 70% of employees in the trial reported reduced levels of burnout. I'm Ed Donahue. And finally, in Florida, spring training for some major league players and managers doesn't stop on the diamond. John Schneider, the Toronto Blue Jays manager, performed the Heimlich maneuver on a stranger at a restaurant while out to dinner with his wife, saving a life. Blue Jays manager John Schneider saved a woman at a restaurant uh, who was choking and struggling to breathe. Uh, she had a piece of shrimp stuck in her throat. Uh, this is a restaurant in Dunedin. Other people are panicking, kind of freaking out. You know what happens in those kinds of things, fight or flight, right? Like some yeah. people, you know, really know how to jump into action. He did, giving her the Heimlich maneuver and successfully performing that. 
Realizing that no one at the woman's table knew what to do, the 43-year-old skipper rushed over, performed the Heimlich maneuver, and dislodged a piece of shrimp, saving the woman's life. I learned it in like sixth grade and hadn't done <laughs> since, so it was just kind of like, I think I remember how to do this, and um, I'm a bigger guy, so I think that kind of helped a little bit. Um, but yeah, I hadn't thought about the Heimlich maneuver since, you know, sixth grade. The woman thanked Schneider before returning to her meal. Schneider says that neither the woman nor her party knew who he was. The restaurant's owners, however, rewarded him for what he did. You have your lunch comped? I had a beer comped, but I was, it, was, it, was, it was late enough in the day. Um, no, but the... Uh, <laughs> it's 12.01 now. Um, no, the manager came over and said, and said, thank you very much. I think I was, I was kind of like a little bit rattled afterwards. Um, so the beer did come in handy. Schneider is entering his first season as a full-time Major League Baseball manager. He took over as Toronto's interim manager last July after Charlie Montoyo was fired. Blue Jays went 46-28, and earning the American League's top wildcard spot with Schneider at the helm. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. 